0: Yeah, so a lot of those iBuyers right now are trying to figure out how do we still do this at a profit while offering the seller a price point that makes it worth their while back to your point.
1: Welcome back to Core Conversations, a Core Logic podcast where we tour the property market to investigate how economics, climate change, governmental policies and technology affect everyday life. I am your host, May Claire Bolton-Smith, and I'm just as curious as you are about everything that happens in our industry. We've discussed property technology or prop tech in previous episodes, but we've only just skimmed the surface. And it's a good thing that we did because much has changed since we first spoke about the industry in episode 47.
2: Hi everyone, I'm new around here. I'm Katya and I'm going to be joining Core Conversations as another voice this season. While May Claire is still going to be our host, I'm here to give you a look into the research that our team does for some of the more nitty gritty subjects we discuss. I'm also really excited to bring a new segment to our episodes where I will provide a glimpse into what's happening in the greater economy so that you know what is happening in the property market. Speaking of happenings, we wanna invite you, our listeners, to reach out to us on social media. We're at Logic on Facebook and LinkedIn and at Logic Inc. on Twitter and Instagram. However, if you wanna have a conversation with us face-to-face, come and meet up with some of our experts or just check out what we do. We're gonna be at MBA's Servicing Solutions Conference and Expo on February 21st through the 24th in sunny Orlando, Florida. Not a bad place to be in midwinter, promise. (laughs) Okay, let's hop back in with Mayclair to continue our conversation.
1: So to keep our conversation about PropTech current, we're going to pick up where we left off and talk about how the cooling housing market is disrupting the innovation that itself was meant to disrupt. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Mark, welcome back to Core Conversations.
0: Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me again.
1: Okay. Well, you were just on this podcast at the end of last year, but I felt like there was so much more that we could talk about. It was just the tip of the iceberg. So before we jump in, can you remind our listeners about your background and your role here at CoreLogic?
0: Sure. So I work in our data solutions team, supporting our data and analytics business, specifically how these prop tech businesses are leveraging our data, analytics, and technologies to foundationally run and operate their businesses. So super exciting part of the business
1: to work in. Yeah, definitely. And super exciting for our topic today. So the property industry is a human capital intensive industry traditionally. But the last couple of years, we saw the proliferation of technologies like iBuyers and Power Buyers, or they're called bridge financing sometimes. And I think, you know, one might say that prop tech solutions were born out of the bull market that characterized this period. But Things have changed in recent months, and this is one of the most exciting things that I think you and I talked about when you were here the first time, and I want to just kind of revisit this topic of iBuyers and Power Buyers, because how is the current market testing the evolution of this iBuyer business model?
0: Well, that's exactly right. So um, PropTech's only been around you know, relatively recently, within the last decade. All these mm-hmm. business models pretty much emerged and were born in the last appreciating market cycle that we live through sure. so back okay. to your point none of these business models have really withstood the test of uh, scrutiny in a decelerating market or a downward depreciating market so for sure okay. right now there's a lot of focus on how these business models adapt change and questions about whether some of them survive as this market cycle changes and stress tested stress tests the applicability and relevance of these business models across all market cycles, not just upward appreciating ones.
1: Okay. And I want to talk about that survival topic right there because we've seen some big players in this market. I know Zillow and Redfin were pretty big in the iBuyer market and they've now closed their iBuying arms. What does this mean for other companies? Like you and I kind of offline talked a lot about iBuyers because of interest of me personally, and I know you've been through some of this yourself as well. There is a lot of companies out there. What does it mean for these remaining companies to have their stocks? We've seen their stocks drop dramatically in recent months. Does it mean there's not as much competition or does it mean that they're just not going to exist anymore?
0: It's It's a great point, right? So on the one hand... For the I buyers that are left, it's potentially opportunistic to accumulate market mm. share if they can yeah. figure out how their business model adapts and supports the current market conditions. But to your point, um, you know, Zillow was first, then relatively recently followed by Redfin, where they actually uh, ceased operations. They ceased their I buying arms. Now, yeah. you could actually argue that those guys were followers in this space anyway, because they were effectively were born... Okay. In PropTech 1.0, which was really the rise of, of the portals, Redfin and Zillow got into the iBuying business because there was a lot of venture capital going into fueling their emerging uh, competitors like uh, Open Door and Offerpad. Mm-hmm. Um, so this very much, I think, is a return to Redfin and Zillow of their core business and their core competencies, which are okay. uh, areas that are very familiar to them. And to your point, yeah. the ones that are left standing are the ones that were ones that pioneered and invented iBuying as a concept. So um, subtle dis- distinction there, uh, but an important one because um, the iBuyers that remain were born as iBuyers and invented the iBuying concept and don't really have anything mm-hmm. else to fall back on. So they yeah, have to sure. continue to invest and pivot and uh, understand how they operate in this market. It was kind of easier in a lot of ways for Redford and Zillow to, to get out when the going got tough. Because they had other business lines and established business models. Right. Models.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, where's the other ones that they didn't have plan B? That was yep. their business. That's, that, exactly that's right. really interesting.
2: Okay. Let's take a moment to talk about what iBuying is. We learned a little bit about this in episode 47. But to sum it up briefly, we'll use a definition from the New York Times, which said that iBuyers are essentially institutional house flippers companies that use algorithms to estimate a home's value, and then buy it directly from the owner for cash. Power buyers, on the other hand, are companies that bridge finances and that awkward gap between selling a home and buying another. What they do essentially amounts to a cash offer for a buyer and guarantees the sale of a home.
1: Um, yeah, it's interesting because part of the reason you and I started talking about this is you really piqued my interest when you were first on the podcast because we, I, I mean, I've talked a lot about buying this home that we live in now and we are looking at moving and upgrading our house. and. I just can't be bothered with putting a home on the market right. and having to deal with all of that. So this eye buying was really appealing to me. And I had talked to some of my colleagues actually that had used an eye buyer in the last six to eight months and been really successful with it. So this was very interesting to me when you and I first started talking about it. However, the market's very different now than it was six, eight, twelve months ago. And what I encountered was as soon as I kind of questioned with some of these iBuyers, the instant response I got from most of them was, we're not buying properties in your area right now. And then I kind of dove into a few others and kind of tried to check all of them out. And somebody's like, yeah, you know, we'll we'll come and make you an offer. And then they wait and right before they're supposed to come, they're like, yeah, it's not worth our time. We we wouldn't be able to give you what you paid for the house. And if you were to look at, you know, just looking at even a core logic valuation of, of what the property is, it would be significantly higher than what we paid for it. So it, it was interesting to me to kind of see the fall of the iBuying market firsthand. Um, right. So, yeah, I just wondered if you could kind of comment on some of that.
0: Yeah. So a lot of those iBuyers right now are trying to figure out how do we still do this mm. at a profit yeah. while offering the seller a price point that makes it worth their while back to your point. yeah. And in, in an upward appreciating market, it's relatively easier to make money on that transaction, right? Sure. Because just the natural uh, market appreciation during the holding time yeah. is going to mitigate a lot of their risk of the holding period or the cost of carry. Now, of course, we're in a different market. We're in a decelerating market, a softening market and potentially in a declining market in certain MSAs and geographies. So um, how they pivot their business models and make it workable so that they can understand, quantify, and lay off their risk in the transaction. Sure. While at the same time offering a price to the consumer that makes sense for them. Yeah. Uh, This is the world that we're now living in, right?
1: Yeah.
0: And um, on the back of that, actually, the iBuyers that are still in market and are still operating um, the types of data and analytics that, for example, that we have, that we offer the industry, mm-hmm. it's never been more important to get the most accurate, highest quality data sources feeding into those models, because we've already seen some consolidation and entrance leaving the market. Okay. The ones that survive and ultimately thrive are going to be the ones that can really, really understand and quantify the risk profile, still deliver a a product to the consumer that makes sense for them. Yeah, but we're all living and breathing this, like as it's happening, right? Because this is the first time, with the exception of COVID, when COVID broke. Yeah, and actually at that time they all they all stopped participating in the market for a few months until it it till till kind of more certainty uh, happened back there in the in the summer of 2019. But. This is really the first time these business models have been stress tested so sure um, we're leaning in with these companies uh, a lot of the times okay. to uh, to help them understand and live in this new world but um it's tough yeah in terms of how how these business models adapt yeah
2: hey let's take a break from the conversation for a little bit grab a cup of coffee and let's catch up on the numbers that are moving the property market today every two weeks i'll be giving you insight into all the major numbers you need to know about the property market and it'll only take a few seconds. So here's what you need to know. 2022 was a wild ride. Year-over-year, home price growth ended its 21-month streak of double-digit momentum in November. In April last year, home price growth reached 20.1% on a year-over-year basis. By November, posted price gains were only 8.6%, the lowest rate of appreciation in exactly two years. At the same time that home prices moderated, interest rates spiked. According to Freddie Mac data, interest rates peaked in mid-November when they hit 7.08%. By mid-January, rates begin to drift down slightly, but we're still at 6.33%. CoreLogic is forecasting that this trend will continue, and year-over-year home prices will continue to decline by 2.8% from November 2022 to November 2023. And that's The Zip. See you in the next Coffee Break. I guess the other thing
1: is, Are there still opportunities for those iBuyers that are still have their doors open, that are still offering services on the open market to make themselves competitive and and profitable?
0: Uh, Yes. The the short answer to the question is yes, but it's definitely harder for them to understand needle in the haystack, which properties they should be acquiring and at what price point um, Uh, than ever before. What we've also seen is their approach to risk and eye buying and the way that they would construct what's called their buy box was very, very much property-centric driven in terms of they'd start with the property, then go outward to the market. Now what they're doing is they're turning that on its head. Now they're saying, hmm. which geographies and MSAs am I comfortable operating in versus not? And then they're looking at the, the, the local kind of um, market uh implications before they actually look start to look and underwrite the property. Okay. So the way that they uh the way that they approach um buying has fundamentally changed from being property centric outward to um kind of more like local MSA specific inward uh, to the property.
1: Okay. There's a couple things I want to dive into there. Um, but first you used an acronym MSA, and that is the Metropolitan Statistical Area. So just when we're talking about geographies, I just wanted to clarify that a little bit. But the thing I wanted to dive into is this idea of by box. Um, I thought that was a really interesting concept that you mentioned. So can you talk a little bit about this? What is that? How? What are? How do you define parameters of the box?
0: Yep. Sure. So as I just mentioned, um, a lot of these prop techs, whether they're in iBuying or whether they're in, in, in power buying, will set and define what's called their buy box, which is basically effectively, it's their investment criteria in terms of we've got lots of capital to, to deploy. We want to deploy that capital into our buy box of this criteria um, because we're satisfied that that's a sustainable investment strategy for us. And as I just mentioned mm-hmm. Buy boxes traditionally were property centric. It was all done understanding the property yeah. first and then the environment around the property or the market around the property. Now in this changing market environment, buy boxes are being adapted and changed to be market centric first and then to underwrite or evaluate the property secondarily.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, such is the nature um, of this current market cycle that we're going into.
2: That is really helpful information and there's more to come. However, we're going to continue this conversation in part two of this episode when we pick back up next week. Talk to you then.
1: Okay, and thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcast to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life producer Jesse Devenins, editor and sound engineer Romeo Roman, and social media duo Sarah Buck and Makayla Brooks. Tune in next time for another Core Conversation.